Yes, sir. Please do. We're recording. Cool. Welcome to another episode of Game of Life with Dan Harmon. We've got a director in today. Yes, sir. Our first director. Wow. I'm, I'm pretty excited because, uh, in all honesty, I don't know much about him other than he's directed a whole lot of Australian TV and he's one of the people behind Auntie Donna. Max Miller, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, man. Hello, thanks for having me. I'm so thrilled to be the first director. Thank what you. An honor. So, so, tell us a bit about yourself. Like, who, who are you as a person, as a sort of, and as a director? Who, who are you? Um, well, I've yeah, as you said, I've kind of um, I work as a comedy director. Um, that's both across like web stuff, um, TV, just kind of everything. Mm. Um, <clears throat> And uh, I've kind of wanted, always wanted to be a director um, since kind of high school, really, um, when I had that moment realization kind of thing. Um, and um, but I thought it was going to be in kind of more serious, um, mm. dramatic, thriller, you know, drama type world, which is where I naturally gravitate towards. I loved comedy growing up, but um, and grew up with a lot of comedy, but didn't ever think I'd actually would be doing it more from a confidence point of view and then kind of, um, yeah, as, and, and all my early stuff, short films, all very dramatic and thrillery and kind of that, that kind of thing. And then, um, eventually kind of fell into comedy a bit and now pretty much just exclusively do comedy. When, when did you go all in on, on your craft? Um, oh, just in, in terms of directing. Yeah, in terms of directing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I kind of, um, I think, you know, I had the moment actually in, yeah, like I said, in high school where, um, I kind of decided that like, I just, I don't know what it was exactly, but there's something that just drew me to it that and mm. it kind of hit that point where I was like, this is what I'm, this is it. This is the thing mm. for me. And, um, and uh, I think making like a few short films in high school, um, and that kind of thing. And then, you know, as you're going through and it's always a question of like, Oh, what are you going to do at university? And, you know, after high school and that kind of thing. And I just really wanted to, um, yeah, focusing on film and, you know, found some some unis that had film courses mm. and stuff. And, um, yeah, just kind of really pushed towards that. Mm. What, what, what is it? I mean, we're a couple of dummies. What, what does a director do? What is the role of a director on oh, a film? Yeah, big question. On a TV show. Um, so I think it can, the short answer I think is, I could say is that basically it's someone who makes decisions. Mm. Mm. Um, Do you have to be a bit of a jack of all trades as well? Is yeah, that, a little yeah. bit of a jack of all trades. Mm. Um, it's about making decisions and it's also about, um, I think, the, yeah, the core kind of basic way to describe it is, is those things, making decisions, being a jack of all trades and also being able to visualise a script. Mm. So, mm. you know, you kind of read the script and then you've got to visualise that, you know, what you see in your head when you read it mm. and then actually enact that and, mm. and make that happen. And that's, you know, through working with other people, production designers, cinematographers, mm. you know, um, composers and, um, you know, actors and everything and talking about like what you kind of see mm. for it and what you kind of how you want to visualise it and then they do their thing and often then we'll be like, well, what do you think about this or this? Mm. And then it's like a lot of making decisions of, you know, um, what location it might be or like um, a prop is suggested, do you want that prop? Or like, mm. what about, should this character be wearing this hat? Mm. You know, and then our an actor being like, oh, in this scene, I think it should be angry. And it's like, yes mm. or no. And, you know, so it's always kind of like making those decisions all the time, constant decision-making mm. um, uh, in, in, and trying to like give the answers that most align with what your overall vision is for it, mm. how you visualize the script. So that's why it's kind of like the visualizing the script, making decisions, and then the jack of all trades, I guess, is a bit in the sense of like you you kind of need to know a little bit about production design mm. to be able to communicate it with the production you designer. You have to have an eye for everything. Yeah, yeah. and same with cinematography, you know, you know, a bit about it like, you know, and, and find references and that kind of thing to be able to communicate with a cinematographer and same with acting. You need to understand what an actor wants mm. and something to be able to direct that actor. Mm. So you do need to know a little bit about everything. Mm. Um to be able to communicate with all those with all those different people. Do, do you find yourself getting drawn into any particular department of a production that you may not have necessarily thought you had any interest in before becoming a director? Um, yeah, definitely. It's it's kind of um, changed over time. So in the early days, I was really into editing, mm. and um, I basically did work as a director slash editor. Mm. Um, I, I was spending just as so much time editing as I was directing, and 
kind of really liked that. And I think just because in the early days it was, you know, doing short films and that kind of thing, it was just easier to edit myself. You mm. know? And, um, and so it was kind of more of a necessity, but I really loved it. And so I kind of did it for a long time. I've kind of phased it out a bit now. I don't really do it too often unless it's projects that I'm kind of directing. Mm. Um, uh, but yeah, then over time, like cinematography was a big one for me. I was really scared for that of that for a long time because I just didn't understand lighting. Um, lighting is really complicated. I feel like at first, like just how to achieve, you know, nice like cinematic lighting looks mm. is um, really tough. And I just didn't get it for a long time. And um, and then something clicked eventually, and then I really got into it and mm. um, really kind of was quite drawn to that and have worked a little bit as a cinematographer. Um, sometimes on things that I'm directing, where I direct and shoot. Um, and once or twice just purely just to shoot other mm. people's things. But, um, yeah, never officially called myself that, but mm. just kind of like as a fun, like a side, I guess. What do you think um, your biggest achievements are um, when the final product is all all there, all, all over and done with? Like what do you look, do you look back on it and say, oh, okay, well, I really excelled in that? Yeah, I think... Um, yeah, I think it's kind of like, it probably sounds really basic, but like, I think when you're kind of starting out in particular, you like, you mostly just want to make things that look legit. Mm. And, and I mean that in that, like, you look at it, it looks like a real production, not like an yeah. amateur production or a student production or, or, or that kind of thing, or like a homemade kind of thing. Mm. Like you're kind of always trying to make things that look like it's like real mm -hmm. in inverted commas. And, um, and I, so I think like for a long time it was just like watching something and be like, hoping that yes, this, mm. this looks and feels legit, mm. you know, and like not, not like made by a real director, mm. I guess. Um, and, and trying to like, I think it was it took me like a long time to like even officially call myself like a director mm. because I feel like it really had to be justified. Um, uh, over a period of time mm. by like, you know, a, a, a body of work that like felt like real, mm. you know, directing, not just um, amateur student, you know, homemade kind mm. of stuff, which is not, which is not like that's still directing, but mm. this is how I thought about it. Do, um, do you feel in like when you're in the midst of a production that you're, you're seeing it more than anyone else would, would be, right? Is that correct? Yeah. So you would, you'd be more, because you're so involved, right? You'd be, consuming that product every single day and then when it's all produced and out on the tv would would you go back and and watch yeah i mean and, and and look at it in another eye it's yeah it's interesting well because yeah it's during the edit the post process um you know you you just watch it a million times mm, yeah exactly yeah and you just yeah you do know it so intimately in, in mm. every detail like there's, there should really be no one that knows it in more detail than you. Mm. Um, and, um, yeah, it can just drive you crazy having to watch it that many times. Yeah. And then what's nice is like when you, when, when it's finished and then you do have time away from it and then you come back and watch it, which is like, you know, happened say recently, like with a TV show or something like that, where you, you finish it and you deliver it. Mm -hmm. And then there is always a bit of time before it actually airs. Yeah. And then when, so when it does air and you watch it and it's nice having a bit of, space between it mm. and you can kind of watch it a little bit fresh again mm. and kind of just see it as a viewer which is which is always nice because it is a danger as well when you're going through editing and posts and stuff yeah. to see the forest and the trees when you're that deep into it well you're having to critique it you're not really i guess you, you can't really sit down and enjoy it because you're mm. it's it's work right when you're doing it but you, you don't have that moment i suppose to actually sit down and enjoy it when you're in the middle of it yeah that's yeah. right it's 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 yeah to be able to have you need that time to be able to then try and mm. watch it as an audience member mm. is, is the thing. I think yeah. trying to be in the audience member again where you're not mm. like just watching and analysing anything that could be wrong mm. or that could be fixed and just let it, just watch it like, you know, do most things. Is is that a tough part of the of the job? Um, the, like how focused? Yeah, yeah, like how, how meticulous it has to be. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it is, but it's also, it, it feels... I don't know, like natural, I guess, for that point of the process. Like it doesn't, like you kind of want to be, you're kind of, you are in it and you mm. are thinking about, you know, and analyzing everything, mm. um, the edit and, you know, that bit of music and, you know, is, is the color grade right on this shot and that kind of thing. Mm. 
it's the it's a fun part like it's fun like yeah. it's definitely because you're really getting you're still crafting you know and it's kind of like like i get excited like the color grade is one of the last things that happens and it's always really exciting because it's like just another chance to mm. you know enhance the overall feel or something because mm. um you know if you've got like a bit more of a horror scene or something like that it can really come to life in the color grade and mm. stuff and so now it's like oh now that's actually how i imagined it you know it so, makes lots of difference like mm. if the if the scene is warmer then it's different it's a different emotions if the scene's colder it's, it's a it's a much different emotion that's right and we've changed like the color of things in the color grade to what was shot and that kind mm. of thing and then it can completely you know change the feel of the scene um and stuff which is it's it's it's, it's fun to be kind of like yeah you're always kind of getting it that bit closer to mm. how you imagined it through the process so mm. um yeah overall it's good it's definitely i think the editing the edit's probably the more tiring because you really can get really bogged down into that for mm. a long time and especially if there's like a lot of different um you know opinions and notes and something mm. come from different places and trying to find the right balance for, for stuff but um yeah overall it's 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 yeah it's still it's and again also kind of no different to pre-production which you get quite bogged down in as well mm. like analyzing what locations you might use or you know whatever it might be or what bit of wardrobe so yeah it just kind of is that process max when you were young do you go back and reflect upon the videos of the film that you made with you know lesser or cheaper equipment versus what you would have access to now and do you think that holy shit i did actually do a great job um back then with the equipment i had then because i do photography i play around photography like i reflect back on my pictures that i took took with like a cheap slr and it's like holy shit that's a very good image like i've done now versus what i have and i can like if i could do that image or the cheaper i could you know make much better things with that do you always go back and reflect to that yeah yeah and you know it's really sad as well because it's just kind of like it pains me a bit because it's just that classic um modern age thing where like all the stuff that you know did like a high school and that kind of thing is basically lost on laptop hard drives yeah. that you know don't exist anymore and um and i really wish i could go back and watch it, it would just be really funny if nothing else um but remembering it yeah i think um i think I, I yeah i i kind of always gravitated towards a really cinematic kind of style and and um like i really love the idea of of movies and that kind of thing and and i i thinking back to the short films I was making a high school like I really tried to emulate a fully like cinematic experience from like the beginning mm. um I think like there's different things like, I remember one project for like a media class we made kind of actually just just like a, a comedy film and that was kind of more fun but then the short films I was making in my own time were like like I said it was very serious more dramatic kind of things and like trying to you know recreate um yeah like make them feel like real movies and stuff and um but yeah you know using really cheap gear and um and that kind of thing i think it would be really funny to um to watch back again but um i it, it feels like what what i think i think what i was making then makes sense almost like to what i was wanting to do like i don't think it was like a different it was like oh what was i thinking or what was i mm. like you know intending there it was like no that that fits like what my, you had I feel like my mm. journey was you know going to be and stuff yeah, um so what was your favorite what's your taste let me ask you this when you were making short films that you said you were uh, you liked something that was much more dramatic like what was do you like um darker things uh, when you were making short films was it darker was it like had much more light oh yeah 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 i mean my um, the main like kind of short film the big short film i was trying to do on, on my that was like in my passion project when i was in high school with my friends and stuff was basically like a fight club inspired yes um, you know short film so it was just like watching watching films like that and everything that really kind of um uh yeah i think i had like a one summer in high school where i just i don't know what in, really inspired it but like going to the to the to the video store and you know renting like you know heaps of weeklies and stuff of films that i hadn't seen um you know um because i don't know how old it would have been maybe 16 or something like that but um in hindsight i don't know how i was able to rent some of these but um things like fight club and um wrecking for a dream and taxi driver and stuff like this which is all just feel like very cliche kind of choices but like they were yeah films that kind of like really opened my eyes into like what 
you know, um, it could be based off like previously having only watched stuff mm. more probably of my age and of, you know, being a young teenager's interest. So it was like, and then that, so that was what really kind of got me, got the bug, I guess, of wanting to, to be a director. And then, so that is what then inspired mm. those early short films, which then end, end up also being very dramatic and, um, yeah, having, yeah, things like based off that and stuff. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely like, there's a few different moments, I think that would call out that were like, you know, kind of real turning points. Um, like I remember I'd, I'd wanted to be a director, but like in my, in the, when I first made that decision, it was in my head, it was people like Steven Spielberg and Clint Eastwood and like these kind of old, um, you know, American legends, legends and stuff. And it just seemed so far away, mm. you know, and so impossible to reach. And then I remember watching um, the film The Village, um, which is an M. Night Shyamalan yeah. film. Yeah, I know that one. And, it, yeah, I'd watched, like, seen The Sixth Sense and Signs before that, which I really loved. Um, but I didn't know anything about the director or anything like that or think twice about it. But um, I had loved those films. And then watched The Village and was watching the behind the scenes of The Village and saw M. Night Shyamalan being interviewed. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, this young... Um, this young guy and oh and and he wasn't white either and it just kind of like was a moment of like oh there are people like it's not just old hollywood men like you know mm. there are like other um you know younger people and people who don't look like you know clint eastwood and steven spielberg and that kind of thing and it was a yeah nice moment to be like um it just seemed a lot more yeah kind of attainable and stuff after yeah having that, mm. that moment was there anyone in your personal life or you know um another director that sort of inspired you someone who you actually knew um no i mean i didn't um know anyone i think coming into the film world for me was completely cold Mm. um like no connection through anything no family connection no friends connection or anything um i had friends at high school who wanted to be actors but um, yeah, kind of all in the same boat of yeah, mm. no, no actual kind of way, and that's again part of like almost what I was just saying as well there, where it would just seemed like a world that was like too far away, mm. too too removed to, to like understand how you would get into it or how it would work or anything. Mm. That's why thank God there was just like yeah, there was I ended up going to Swinburne, um, which has a film and TV production course, um, and um, it like thank God they had that because it was just like something to work towards because mm. without that I would have just yeah had no clue um you know about what to do so at least it was like a first step you know to try and like yeah when, figure it out when you were young did you had a director's perspective when you were watching those movies did you have a director's perspective or you was just you were just fascinated by the cinematography of those movies that you were watching um yeah I think um I think it was just, yeah, to be honest, it probably was mostly influenced by the films I was kind of watching at the time. Um, but, um, and yeah, and then, like I said, turning towards more um, dramatic and cinematic, um, you know, and but thrillery kind of with a bit of a mystery and maybe a twist and stuff at the end, um, you know, kind of thing. And just like where like, yeah, the cinematography plays a big part, the music plays a big part, you know, the, the framing of the, sh- the composition of shots is like, you know, cinematic and the lighting and that kind of thing. That was, yeah, what kind of... Um, I was just trying to understand your perspective when you're 16 and watching those movies. So when was that project or what was that project that you did and you thought, I'm going to go all in on this. I'm going to be a director now. Um, I think it was like, it was generally watching that M. Night Shyamalan interview because um, I, like I said, I had really wanted to do it before mm. and I was really interested in it, but I thought it was just too, too impossible. And then I saw that interview and I just was like, actually, okay. This is it. And I remember like afterwards just sitting sitting down and just like sitting and thinking and being like, this is mm. it, telling my mum, like, I, my mom, I'm, this is what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And it really just goes to highlight the importance of like, you know, you can only be what you can see. And why, like, you know, diversity and, and that kind of representation is so important because, um, you know, whether it's gender diversity or racial diversity, because you see people, you know, that are like you. Um, I mean, I am white, but it was still he was young and he was not white. He just felt out of, mm-hmm. you know, out of the Hollywood kind of world that I had mm-hmm. in my head at that time. And it's important, like, yeah, to kind of see 
um, yeah, see that because it's like when you see that when you're young, um, it makes you realize that, you know, well, if that person's doing it, then it's like, mm. you know, you can see how you can do it. And it's just like, yeah, it's a great example of like how important that is for people to be able to like be motivated to um, and inspired to actually follow a certain career path if they can see people like them, um, you know, doing it. Because that was, like I said, that was the turning point for me in terms of being like, it's something I want to do, but was impossible to like, no, I'm doing it, mom, this is what I'm doing now. And, you know, from then on, yeah, just pursued it and did it in uni and, and, and went from there. That's a big moment. Mm. Saying yeah. it out loud to your mother is like, mom, I'm there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like, this is real. <laughs> wow. What was the first paid gig? Um, I don't I don't know if I had any during uni. I don't think so. So it would have been after uni. I think I'd, after uni just had a few probably like just small kind of corporate type gigs mm. where it was probably like I got a gig kind of early out of uni actually editing this documentary project. Um, that was kind of really interesting actually. It was um, this um, graphic designer, Simon Pemberton, and he was doing this documentary series where he was interviewing basically all these graphic designers, like really famous Australian graphic designers who have, you know, designed all the logos that we see everywhere. Mm. Um, um, from the AFL logo to the Commonwealth Bank logo, just like all the logos, mm. you know, that we kind of, um, you know, so in, it was in this documentary series interviewing all those, all these kind of graphic designers who had kind of designed the things that we see every day. So it was quite interesting. And, and, um, so it came through Swinburne and um, for some reason, but yeah, I got on that as an editor. So I think that was kind of maybe my first kind of gig almost. And then after uni kind of, um, yeah, just doing a few little corporate things and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, but the real first real thing was probably eight months after uni finished. I, um, well, a job came up as an assistant editor at a post-production studio called Merp in Melbourne um that did um like commercials and stuff so um so they did all kind of all posts of like editing color grading effects mm. online sound and um yeah i applied and, and got a job there as an assistant mm. editor um uh i was doing at the time my dip ed um because it was um at my parents kind of uh <laughs> insistence after finishing my film course it was um that moment of like you know parents being like that's great you did that now you should probably mm, you know get a job yeah get a dip ed maybe you can be a teacher mm. you know just in case as a backup so i was doing that at the time at the same time um but yeah when i got this job i, I yeah could thankfully drop out of the course and um mm. um yeah no and that, and that ended up being because it was a full-time job at a professional post-production house mm. working on big commercial kind of work mm. so it was great, like great kind of into the industry and I ended up working there, yeah, full time for three years. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, that was the first real kind of job. It seemed like such a hard thing to break into in Australia as well, I think. Yeah, and I kind of like, um, yeah, I, I think one of the big things like I always say when people ask for like, you know, advice in the early parts and stuff and I think a big thing if it, I always say is like, do as much work as you can. Like you do have to take on as much as you possibly mm. possibly can and potentially keep pushing yourself to that point where you maybe you're overloaded. But I think like you, you just don't know what can what opportunities can lead to what or yeah. like what experience will become valuable. So the the way I got that job was because my um, editing lecturer at uni had recommended me for it because um, she knew the the editor at that company and. Um, I had a good relationship with my editing lecturer because I was working on three projects with her because I was directing a short film. Because in final year, you had your grad films mm. like the whole year making a film and you could do whatever role you wanted. And I was directing a film, but I was also editing on two other people's films. Mm -hmm. um, so I was seeing her like three times a week, whereas yeah. most people were only seeing her once a week for their one project. Mm. And I think like, yeah, just so we had, yeah, a good relationship because it was always in there, mm. you know, working on pro on different projects and stuff. And and then she recommended me as well as a couple of others, you know, for the for the job. And um, yeah, and I think it's just like, you know, it's it's I didn't work on that many projects because I knew that was going to happen, of course. Like mm. I just wanted to, you know, do as much as I could. Get and as, then, as much experience as well as possible. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then that... Um, yeah, getting the experience and like, and I wanted to do it. Like I wanted to edit and it was fun and I wanted to work on other projects mm. and stuff. And then, 
yeah, that ended up leading to that and it got me, yeah, that job, you know, that post house, which was, yeah, like you say, it's, it, it's like that first, um, yeah, getting that first job is, is the hardest. Mm. And so, um, yeah, it was a huge yeah thing to be able to get in there and, and work there for a while. And even though it was in commercials, it was still a great learning experience and, you know, met a lot of people and, um, yeah, learned a lot and just kind of understood the industry a lot more mm. um, through that and then was able to, you know, use that for things afterwards. So when did you um, decide to go independent and start doing films yourself? So basically the same, there's a few things I guess happening at once. So once I'd finished uni, I yeah got that job, that full-time job. It was as an assistant editor, so I wasn't even editing there, um, let alone directing. So I still wanted to be directing, so I was trying to still do stuff on the on the sides, like um, um, you know, any other little bits of directing, or like eventually, I think about a year or so into that, then started to try to get to music videos. So I was doing um, music videos, um, and yeah, directing my first music video whilst I was working at the post-production house and just you know shooting on the weekend and that kind of thing and um just then that really started turning into a thing where I was kind of then trying to do you know multiple music videos like you know kind of like one after another and so that was like a real good directing kind of outlet Mm -hmm. um but then also at the same time like basically the first year out of uni um is when Auntie Donna started and um so that was also like a big kind of like directing outlet and um and time kind of filler which was you know, doing Donna stuff and again, shooting on the weekends and, and then I would edit that mm. and stuff during the week and, and that kind of thing. So there was, yeah, kind of the full-time job edit assistant and then directing music videos, directing Auntie Donna um, was, yeah, kind of all happening around the same time. And so, which was nice because it was feeding, yeah, both the directing and the editing kind of side. So what we discovered is this, from the get-go, your trajectory has been linear and just um, being a director, a cinematographer, and you know the creative side. If you weren't doing that, do you ever sit down and realize what else would I be doing if not that? No. Yeah, I don't know. Because um. it's you've been unidimensional, uh, you know. Yeah, that's the thing. I think making that decision so early on, like I think, um, mm. I think uh, that yeah, that village moment was in it was either year nine or year ten. Wow. Whenever that film came out, I can't remember what year it was. Um, so I think, yeah, that was quite like from middle high school, that was it, you know, um, I think I like only had a thought of like wanting to maybe be a vet, (laughs) (laughs) but then once I realized the enter score you needed to do that, I was like, well, I'm not going to achieve that. So, um, yeah. So then there's, there's just been, there's just been film and kind of never really in doubt, um, to be honest, I never really second guessed it. Never doubt yourself. No, I don't think like sidetrack was doing the dip ed, and that was only because, um, yeah, my parents thought it would be yeah. a good idea, mm-hmm. and um, and I thought like also like yeah, I mean it would be teaching media, so at least it would have been sure. related, you know, mm-hmm. like if, if I wasn't going to be doing film, I would have loved to have been, you know, talking about it and teaching it at least, mm-hmm. you know, and still being around it. So it was still yeah, always kind of related, and um, yeah, never never really had a, a fallback anything it's funny like kids nowadays or like even when i was growing up we have so much distractions like it's funny to me that you just picked something up and you just did it and went all in on just one single thing now what do you think about people around like you have so many distractions how do they find their one niche yeah it's hard i mean i think um i can to be able to only speak from experience i think it's like you know um it is finding the thing like I think you kind of know it when you you feel it yeah you know it when you feel it like in terms of just um, the thing that kind of makes you most passionate and excited to mm-hmm. do. I think like I kind of definitely was early on. It was like I knew that if um, I wasn't like if I couldn't do film mm-hmm. as a job, I would be doing it anyway mm-hmm. on the weekends or as it would be my hobby. So mm-hmm. I think it's kind of that thing of like what's your your favorite hobby and turning that into a job mm. that's that's the hardest thing you can do yeah um but you know if it is if it's if you find like the thing that you do kind of most love then it's yeah you'll kind of push through with it and you'll persevere with it and stuff and you might like think you have something and then it turns out not to be the case and like that's totally fine mm. like you know I, I know a lot of people it's like it is 
experimenting and stuff with that. And then even within film, there's a lot of that experimenting because people mm. think, oh, maybe they want to be a director and actually no, they don't. And maybe they want to be a production designer mm. instead and they try different roles or maybe they want to be a producer and they try different roles. And so that's great. So you might have to just like find it, navigate it a little bit. But once you kind of, yeah, do find that thing that's like that you would do as a hobby, like that's how much you enjoy it, then that's the thing that you should, you know, zone in on and go all in on. Yeah. Do you ever sit down and study um, other directors and what they're doing? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you kind of have the classic of like just obviously watching as many films as possible and having your favorite directors and and watching their films. Um, But also, yes, being able to study, study it and stuff is great. So like I, yeah, I love, I get a real kick out of like, um, reading or watching things that talk about the, the craft of like filmmaking and directing where they kind of like analyze something or break something down. So yeah, there's, there's definitely been some great books, um, on that I've read. And then also, you know, in the last eight years or whatever, like the rise of like, um, video essays on YouTube hmm. is a great resource of just like how many, there's so many YouTubers and stuff who, whose channels are about like breaking down the, you know, the directing style or a certain technique or something like that. And it's great because then, you know, you can have the visual of, of the scene and talk about, you know, how it was made and like the choices that were made and, and why and stuff. And like, yeah, I really love that and kind of really like nerding out over the kind of um, the theory behind behind it all and stuff because I think everything everything in directing is like a, we talked at the beginning is, is making a, a decision mm. but it's also a choice so every choice has got to mean something mm-hmm. like no matter how small right. um, it is, it's got to be like justified for a reason. And it all comes back to that visualizing the script and what you want out of it and stuff and what the point of a scene is. And then if, you know, once you figure that out, then everything in it and all the choices you make should be to, um, you know, make that the reality. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, kind of like really learning that and understanding that has been a really fun process and it really helps, you know, I think make the the best end product mm-hmm. because, you know, it's all coming from a thought thought out kind of um, process, not just we'll see what happens. You know? And every small change you make or decision that you make changes the dire- uh, trajectory of where you're going. Yeah. And I mean, are you much of a deep thinker? Because every choice and every decision that you must make, you have to think about every aspect of the film that you're making are you much of a deep thinker yeah well it, it's um a bit of yes and no because it's in in when in the early stage when you're really kind of like first come you know when you first read the script mm. second time you read the script like when you're kind of still kind of trying to think it think it all out and stuff that's yeah the most kind of like deep thinking i mm-hmm. guess kind of kind of time and um you know getting into the world of it and trying to figure out you know, what it is and what, what makes the best version of it. Um, but then as it goes on, you know, you, you basically just get, you get then eventually once you get into pre-production, especially in shooting, you get caught up in just like how hectic and crazy mm. um, it all is and you are having to make decisions, mm. you know, like at the drop of a hat. Very quickly. Very yeah. quickly. You yeah. don't have time to stop and think. Um, so you, you kind of get a bit of both. But hopefully you can make those quick decisions because you've, because you've already thought it, thought out, it before, out beforehand yeah. mm, and I try to get to a point where it can become a bit instinctual. So like if I've thought it through well enough beforehand and, and kind of like locked in on something, then if like in five weeks time a costume designer asks a question and I have, you know, you know, and I have to go do something else but I have a second to respond, mm. it comes back to that um, the, the work you put in earlier that you kind of just should, it not, should know because it's like, well, ultimately what is the kind of, you know, the idea for this and stuff. And so, um, yeah, hopefully by putting that pre-work, you know, it kind of helps you make those, those faster decisions later Mm. on. Do you ever face burnout because of that? Um, do, yeah. So it's interesting. It's, it's during the project. Yes. Mm. And and then it's the classic, this is, I think I've, I've heard this a lot. So I think it's definitely, um, a known kind of cliche feeling within filmmaking, but, you you get especially when you're in the real heat of the project it's like yes you, you feel like you're gonna burn out it's crazy it's like and it's like what are we doing this like you know like a, like a, i can need a holiday like this is mm. like you know so wild and stuff and then it's um and then as soon as it, like almost it's the day you finish the project the next morning 
it's almost like, all right, ready to do it again. Mm. You know, like it doesn't take long um, to kind of want to do it again. And I think part of what why that is a little bit, which what I love about this is that each project is very different. Mm. So um, in, in, in another job, maybe if you're doing like the, just it is the same thing every day, you know, for the whole year, second, you know, years and years on, like having not having that change and stuff, I can see like being really, really difficult. But I think um, as crazy as it can get on a project, when it ends, the thought of a new project that's going to be very different and mm. have its own, you know, being able to come at it again and and everything I think is always like very revitalizing mm. um, and kind of like, yeah, it gets you excited again for the possibilities. It's always like mm. the unknown of like, what it could be. Well, it's that so. creative side of you as well that gets going again. Like, oh, what can I do here? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like having just finished a TV show not that long ago, definitely by the end of that, I was so done. Mm. I was so finished. But um, yeah, maybe not the next morning, but um, I think probably like a month, you know, since it, it, it finished. Like I'm mm. definitely already now like warming back up, ready to go into like the next, mm. you know, another thing. Mm. Um, because yeah, it is excite has an excitement to it as well, and and you forget, you feel the pain when you're in the moment, but then it yeah. quickly fades and you forget. Um, let me ask you this: <clears throat> so when you read the script, well, how a story starts from E to Z, um, when you're directing it, do you go by step by step, or you change the shots that you shoot first? You know, maybe the last shots, the end of the story shots first, end of the start shot first. And when a director is making that kind of decision, how does a good director differentiate from uh, someone who's inexperienced? That's a very tricky question. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so um, you mean like in terms of do you start with the like so, first shots or end shots? Yeah, well, do you start with the end of first shots, like the beginning shots of a story and end shots of a story? It's, um yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's probably more, there's probably a few different parts to it. So one is that, I think when you read it, yeah, you, you might, there's, there's certain moments that you'll love the most, you know, and those are the ones your brain will work on the most, you know, when you're not reading a script later on when you're in bed or whatever, you'll be thinking about that scene and mm. you'll be starting to think about the shots and like how it could play and you'll get excited mm. and stuff. And that could be any scene, beginning, middle, end, you know, just depending on what ones, you know, you're most excited about will, will be the ones that kind of stand out. But then when you actually get down to it and actually doing the work, mm -hmm. it's kind of more... Um, yeah, I suppose a bit more of a just a kind of um, structured process of, um, you know, you, you start work on a production and it's just like going through, you're, always, you're kind of looking at it as, as a whole in the beginning, working with other people. So it's like starting to make a list of lo locations you need, making a list of the different casts you need and thinking about what kind of cast, what kind of locations, what sets need to be built you know, um, what crew you want on, the visual, overall visual style you want. So that mm, might seem to me what, what DOP you want. So it's like the kind of more bigger brush strokes mm. kind of things of the whole project. Mm. And then once that started at some point, I'll then be able to sit down and, and do my work, which is to go through the script and actually shot list and think about all the shots. And they'll just be linear audio. You mm. know, just read the script from page one and start marking down the shots, like, mm. you know, for each scene and just work your way through the script. Mm. Um, but that's only like after you started that kind of, yeah, the, the bigger um, broad strokes, you know, kind of stuff for the project. What sets a good directed film than a not good directed film apart? Like how can you tell that? Can you tell the difference being one? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. Yes, I think I think you can. You definitely can. Like often... Sometimes I'll, I'll be watching a film and like within the first few minutes, I'm like, okay, we're on here for a good one. Mm -hmm. You know, just in terms of like um, at the very least, even if the script or story ends up being bad, the, the direction is going to be interesting and good. Because mm -hmm. you, you can see it in terms of like, yeah, how um, just how how one scene is handled, you know, and particularly in an opening scene where you want to make a bit of a statement sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's like um, if, if, if there's just a bit of like um, – if you can see the, you know, see some craft and thought that's gone into it where like choices have been made that are interesting and like, you know, um, and thought out, it's like thing of, of before of like, um, having 
if you put in that thought like early on and and of like you know what what you're wanting for the film and like as opposed to just like oh you know we'll kind of figure it out on the fly um and then kind of like tell that early on like you know if in in how a scene might be constructed um and then yeah of course through the whole film and stuff like um yeah there's there's moments and there's just like yeah bits and stuff where you're just like yeah this has a bit more of an elevated you know directed directorial approach Mm. doesn't always necessarily mean the end film is going to be still good Mm, um because if the script is bad or you know whatever it can still be bad um but um or they might they might have some elements that are great um and then other parts that aren't but um yeah it kind of can tell i think a lot of the time and but i think and then there's a lot of stuff you watch and you kind of don't really feel that mm. and that's like a, almost like a quite a broad range of films like you know i feel like a lot of films like in, in that mid kind of tier you watch and you don't really feel it's like you know it, it feels like it could be directed by anybody mm. um and i think yeah that's when it's kind of like the least exciting like i'd rather like have a be a bad film but there was a very clear director intention behind it you know at least it's more interesting Hmm. um but unfortunately like most films i feel like almost like yeah you could um you know you could swap out the the director someone else and it would probably you know you you wouldn't know Hmm. kind of thing what are the top five cinematography or directed masterpieces out there what do you in your opinion (laughs) what do you think (laughs) at the top of your head um but do you mean with the cinematography? Like yeah. is in so like the best... Or cinematography or I mean even even if the person has directed that movie in like that's that's actually very good. You can give me a mix. Yeah. Um, so I think... Um, well, one example... Like yeah, I have quite a varied kind of film taste and stuff I think. Um, uh, so like there's different films will have different things for me. That's why like it always comes back to like having a director's like a real vision mm. and approach to it and stuff. Um, so like, yeah, to keep it kind of varied for different, you know, with different things. One example would be um, that was a really big early influence on me, especially on the comedy side is Shaun of the Dead, mm. um, which is an Edgar Wright film. And, you know, it's a comedy where, like I was saying before, like it only that director could have made that film mm. that way. Like it's completely his voice mm-hmm. in it, in the style um and the and the way it's yeah the way it's kind of shot and edited and the tone of it all and stuff like it has a very unique kind of thing and it's a very like cinematic comedy style which i really loved and have um always tried to like kind of implement myself when doing comedy stuff um uh now i'm just trying to think of like my did i put you on spot (laughs) yeah (laughs) um I'm a big sucker. One of my favorite like films, and I count it as a film, even though it's a trilogy, is Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. So all three films, like I think, just like a masterful vision of a director across, you know, nine hours, um, from the cinematography, you know, to the to the world, the design, the music, like everything about it, mm-hmm. I just feel like is incredible, and it has had, it's and especially when you see the behind the scenes and know the story of it and stuff it really was like you know a bunch of people Definitely. coming together and just like being so passionate and um so in love with what they're doing and stuff and it just really shows like it's the opposite of like the kind of corporate hollywood studio kind of thing like there's a real mm-hmm. even though it is a big studio blockbuster film it had like a real kind of passion and stuff behind it and um yeah the overall vision for the film i think is like so perfect as a fan of the books um um, I think, yeah, done so well. Um, so that's another example on a different um, level. Um, there's also, you know, kind of like, I guess, appreciating um, uh, direction in, in films that, you know, you might not always like necessarily particularly love. So like, I think I kind of feel that with most, most like say Steven Spielberg films, I think like as a director, like, you know, has always like the kind of been the the pinup of like, you know, um how to direct basically, um, and being like the real classic director. And you see it like in his films, particularly the early films, like Jaws and stuff like that. And um like they're great to watch f- to kind of learn off. Mm. I don't have any actual love for the film Jaws yeah. or, or like most of Steven Spielberg's films. 
um, maybe Saving Private Ryan, but um, not like I don't really own any of his films or, you know, anything like that. But watching them is always like a great thrill because you really are seeing a director like mm, you can appreciate work, the work art. in the classic yeah. sense, you know. Mm. Um, and like watching Jaws is, is a great lesson in directing, mm. um, it, like in, in, a, in a 101 kind of like foundational kind of way. Um, so, you know, that's, um, yeah, a good example as well. I'm trying to think. Um, you don't have to give me five. I was just, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to know. Um, <clears throat> let's switch this up a little. Now with AI coming in, do you see, do you sit down and think about like where the future of editing post-production is going in terms of AI and what the capabilities would be? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because like right now in the video world, it's not there to to be a threat but mm. can easily see the path that we're on mm. and um because it has has gotten there in terms of um photography and and and, and you know still images mm. um whether it's digital art or like actual photography like i'm amazed at some at how well it can recreate the look of real photography in humans like not being C cgi sorry um uh so you see that and you're like well that's going to get to the video as well and i've seen some early video stuff ai video stuff i've seen is, has been kind of incredible um so it clearly there will be um not no not too distant future you'll be able to make a full scene you know um and then therefore movie um out of you know ai like with like that's true. you know human looking actors um where you've told, you know, you've written a dialogue over there, I, I, I just written a dialogue and, um, you know, animated actors and stuff and, and you know, with shots mm. actually considered framing and storyboarded shots and editing and music that it's kind of created as well. So, like, yeah, that and I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, I suppose, to be honest, like because I think that will definitely happen. Um, and so it's just like whether or not, I mean, I just hope that, like, at the end of the day, um why yeah i suppose why why would someone yeah i guess they'll want that when you know if you know it's been made by an ai mm. maybe it'll get to the point where if it's like but if it's good enough maybe it doesn't matter because then what's the difference if it's as, if it's as good as any other film then i suppose and you get enjoyment out of it then then you know what kind of matters mm. like especially in the animated space probably animated is probably one of the first mm. ones to go like That's an cool. ai can make probably like the the spider-man spider-verse Spider yes. movie and stuff mm -hmm. you know quite easily soon and if it's like the storytelling is good and the visuals are amazing then like probably what is the difference but there'll probably be a bit of a like i don't think they're saying this is take over filmmakers but it'll just be probably like a sub set um of filmmaking where it's like ai filmmakers because you know you still need the person to input to the ai of like what to make and then you know to put to to ask it to do edits and mm. you know and all this kind of stuff so like ai artists might be more of a might become a, a real profession a thing yeah a real thing um i don't think that ai would have a vision well it technically does because it's artificial intelligence but it won't have a, as good of a vision as a human being who's gone through you know 50 60 years of their life experience but i was talking in terms of cutting jobs for post-production because at this moment like you know ai illustrators of your photoshop editors are kind of actually going out of job because it's getting very easier for them like for even an individual who doesn't have much experience create stuff just for 2d images let's say yeah and it's been happening for a while because like even i mean to remove an image remove an object from an image was was a challenge real challenge real challenge and now yes. like your iphone can do that yeah. you know, but, automatically or, yeah. you know um, and, you know, we'll change the color of this car and the shot, you know, so that's already kind of happening a lot and, um, uh, which has made it difficult. And then, yeah, AI, I think on the image front is much, much, much scarier than on the video front because yes, they can, yeah, the way images can just be handled by AI now, I think is like, yeah, it's very scary in terms of like losing jobs and also because editing, creating also, um, editing video. Um, yes. I think that's supposed to obviously still got a ways to go. But, um, you know, you can already get like on, like for an interview, for example, automatic editing mm. based on people talking. Yeah. But to then put thought behind that and stuff, you know, it's probably still a little bit away. 
um, coming, but you know, probably will come eventually. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be scary. Kind of all in danger, yeah. particularly on the, on the post production, post production side, yes. side and the image side, especially. Yeah. yeah. Someone made a point recently that this big writer strike happening in America right now. Yeah. Because an AI is a big part of it. Yeah. But copyright at Writers, the end of the yes. day may may still we may not be able to do 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 away with writers with ai because copyright would come into it because what does ai do it scours the internet so there could be a possibility of studios not wanting to risk yeah that's copyright. Right. And, and actually writers yeah. are just as in <clears throat> much danger yeah. as anybody mm-hmm. um and the most um really because um yeah it could the writing part is the first thing it can do mm. you know and 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 can do quite well by you know analyzing other everything ever, exactly ever kind of yeah. thing um and yeah it's crazy with all the writers strike stuff that it's like mostly comes down to just simply wanting to like um have a have a rule or law that yeah. you know they they can't hire an ai to to write scripts for a tv show yeah. you know which should be like obvious yeah it's crazy that you know but then they're thinking to the future where it's like ai will be like a a basic you know tool that we all use because mm-hmm. it would be like you know instead of google searching it'll be AI, everything will be an ai mm-hmm. space search and um it'll be just a normal part of our lives so like yeah if you're just gonna like you know you need a quick thing written you don't really have much money so it's like oh yeah we'll get the ai to write it and stuff but then it's like yeah it's taking the, <laughs> the trouble of the writer so mm. it's much more it's synthetic crazy. with ai at this moment that's what i feel it's much more synthetic in in terms of versus something that's real and something totally but i think and it is, and I, but I think that will lessen, you mm-hmm. know, like I think as it evolves, like you look, it's come almost coming out of nowhere a bit, you know, with chat GPT and stuff. And so imagine there's another few more years or even like, you know, it's going to be like a very fast. Next 10 years. Yeah, mm. it's going to be a really fast growth. Um, and I think, I think absolutely we'll be able to write stuff that you can't tell the have, difference of. Have you played around with it? Yeah, a little bit. And, and I've done like, especially when it first came out, ChatGPT did all the classic things. I was like, write me a short story in the style of Hemingway, you know. Mm. And <laughs> it does like a really good job. And if if I, if you say, oh, and I wrote this, you'd be like, oh, yeah, of course I can tell. Mm. But if you didn't know, you know, yes. then you wouldn't have questioned it probably. So, yeah, that's why I mean like it's going to um, – I think it can have like a, a human emotional feel um, to things it writes because it's referencing – other things that humans have written absolutely so it's mimicking mm. a human voice so there's yeah i think it, there's no reason why then it wouldn't feel human um so yeah interesting world in connects coming next 10 to 20 years because imagine this basically it's working off of the the whole data that human beings have collected since the start of internet basically and if you look at it our phones are sort of part of us we have it all the time we can't function without a phone can we and imagine if there's sort of like a sync of humans, phones, and AI. What would people be able to do possibly? Um, yeah, like a sync, a sync in like like a in, symbiote or some uh, shit. Where you mean like a humans kind of? Yeah, I was just <laughs> I just sit down AI and t- like, talk about just think about just random shit. But that's that's one of the things I was thinking. I was like, huh. It'll be a very interesting time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like that in, almost in a way now where like a human interacting with an AI, asking it to do things, like a human thinking of something mm. and then importing it to an AI and then AI creating it mm. um, is like that kind of like symbiotic kind of thing where it's yep. like you've thought of something wild and crazy in your mind that would have been so hard for you to make in reality, but you asked the AI to make it and it can make it. As I was just thinking with one of the video AI video things I saw recently that was like super impressive was just like this wild imagination kind of thing with like that, you know, looked quite realistic um, and just would have had a production design and a costume design budget that would have been insane and just like, you know, was like someone's like wild dreams and stuff. But, you know, it's then being able to make it and stuff. Mm. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting as well of like being able to, if it can help in ways like, you know, make things that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to make, that's kind of, that is kind of fun. Yeah. And you can add like a human touch to it after you've had like a semi 
solid structure from AI and then you can just add like a human touch to it. Well, particularly with writing, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you know, you could get it to write the first draft essentially and then you make some edits and stuff and make it feel a bit more human. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. so what's what's next for you? What's, I mean, what's next on your list? Um, so, yeah, I just recently had... Um, TV show come out, another Auntie Donna series, Auntie Donna's Coffee Cafe that was on the ABC. Um, Talk to us a little bit about that and what that process was like working on that show because I, I loved it. I consumed that whole series in a day. Oh, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> or half a day. You that for the, yeah. uh, for the eye view numbers. Um, and yeah. we went to the premiere too we did. as well, yeah. Oh, cool. So the first two, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That, that was, was fun, great. Yeah. That was a great night. Um, yeah, it was... Um, yeah, that was a really fun uh, experience to have. We obviously made a TV show before that, but, you know, in America for Netflix. And it was kind of nice being home and just making it in Melbourne and having more of the people that we've worked with over the years actually be in it and a part of it mm. and that kind of thing. Um, and also to, to do something different because it was a sitcom, not a sketch show. Mm -hmm. And um, and and it was that was kind of the part that I was most nervous about going in was would we retain what's important with Auntie Donna in terms of the, the, the voice and the style, but, you know, without sketches. Mm. And I think we, we really did and definitely a huge credit to all the writing and stuff for it where it kind of, um, it felt, when I watch, I remember watching back and watching some of the first edits and thinking, yes, this mm. feels like an Auntie Donna mm. video, um, but there's this, like it still feels sketchy and, and, and wild and it has yeah. an Auntie Donna kind of flavour. I generally thought that, like, if anyone's been a fan of Auntie Donna, I don't know why they wouldn't like this. Mm. Like, it feel like it had the voice, but in a bit more of a structure yeah. of a of a slightly longer narrative and stuff, which I think also helps people who aren't as big of fans of yeah. Auntie Donna or, or Sketch, say. Um, so yeah, it was a really it was really fun to get to make something different in that way, um, and um, and to make it here. And, um, yeah, now we're just kind of waiting for to hopefully find out about if we get to do another season. Um, I really hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would be fun. It would be nice to, like, have – I'm most excited about that, the idea of a season two yeah. or something, especially after having not a season two of the Netflix show, I think, and having to do another season one, um, being able to just have an established world mm. that we just can just fall straight back into. It's not You don't have to do all the establishing mm. and the figuring out and the setting up and also communicating to people what it is and everything like be able to come back and it's just like more of the same, mm. but hopefully a bit evolved would um, would be really exciting and, and a really different challenge. So the Netflix show, was that ever, um, was it presumed that would come back or was it ever only just going to be a one and done show? Yeah, no, I mean, we, well, I mean, yeah, whilst making it, we we're hoping it was going to be a season mm. two for sure. That was definitely the intention um, and to be, you know, have a few seasons, but there was just a, yeah, a, a few different factors. Like definitely um, at the time it come out just when like kind of COVID started and I mean going back to LA mm. was just like impossible at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, right, yeah. And um, but also um, they Netflix had, had made like five different sketch series. Um, it's probably too much oversaturation over, for them, yeah. Yeah, it was over the course of a couple of years <laughs> and only one of those five um, still exists and has had multiple seasons. Mm. So I think you should leave Tim Robinson. Yeah. Um, and uh, all the other sh shows didn't get a season two as well. We didn't get a season two. Um, and now that whole department that made our shows, mm. that department of comedy and Netflix, mm. no longer exists. Yeah, <laughs> so right. The, the whole thing just like <laughs> in every way fell apart. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, think, good thing that didn't end on a cliffhanger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we see what happens with Tiny Man. Um, so, yeah, it was it was kind of uh, yeah, it was a bit of like we definitely fell for the. Um, I mean, they told us it did really well in Australia and the UK, mm. which is what they were kind of hoping. The US, they wanted a few more numbers, mm. but it comes down to their algorithm, you know, kind of stuff, mm. and just warranting, you know, paying for for another season. But we had like you know we had suggested doing it you know if we filmed it in australia they would have you know been able to make it for like half mm -hmm. the price and you know trying to come up with other ways of like making it happen but they just yeah it was like mm. no matter even if it cost them two hundred dollars to make they still wouldn't have made it mm. like it just got so it was just at a point where it's just like no it's just not happening um and um yeah like i said 
the other like yeah three of the other shows didn't get up and also that whole department's now gone so mm. yeah it was i don't know it's probably just like a bit of a, a a short foray into the world of sketch for netflix and then yeah mm. they quickly stopped except for i think you should leave which you know i think being the tim robinson obviously had a bit of a following already from snl and stuff mm. and was like yeah the one kind of like bigger comedy show that kind of cut through but otherwise yeah what what is the American audience response to Auntie Donna? Um, well, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, generally, like, it's been surprisingly good, I think, over the years. Like, mm. we consider how Australian it kind of feels mm. um, and how hard it is for Australian stuff like that to translate mm. into America um, and to break through in America. But from the early days, our YouTube channel, looking at our stats and stuff, um, has always been quite surprisingly high percentage of people in America, like Australia first, obviously, but America a pretty close second in terms mm. of percentage, and which has always been really surprising, like more mm. than the UK. Um, and uh, and then touring there has been pretty good, in, and, and especially recently in the second half of this year, actually, the guys are doing a, a US mm. tour and the tickets for that tour sold out in, yeah. in, immediately. Um, mm. before they even really went on sale, like all in the pre-sale and stuff, which was incredible. And then mm. and we added some extra shows in New York and a few places. So That's so was, good. Yeah, it was really exciting. I just, I just love that like, so much because oh, when did I, I saw them quite a while ago before they sort of really hit, but um, it's just good to see them actually excel and create all this great content. I'll see you guys create all this great content. Yeah, totally. It's been like yeah. a Netflix show to begin with, and an ABC show. Yeah, totally. It's been a it's been a long journey. Yeah. Like I said, I, before that, I kind of started first year out of uni, so that was um, twenty eleven. Yeah, so so it's been a consistency throughout those early days. Which yeah, yeah, that's right. And a long time building up the Netflix thing. You know, wasn't an overnight thing. No, I mean when we started, Netflix didn't exist. Oh, it um, took a while to get so there. Like yeah. It took a while, you know, to kind of get there and stuff. And um, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was the Netflix show. Definitely was like, yeah, the real amazing reward moment of being like, mm. yeah, this little comedy thing that we started when we were all kind of just finishing uni and stuff and doing on the weekends. You know, could yeah grown into this and yeah, and seeing it now and seeing like how well that the US and UK tour has sold for this year and that there's yeah there's people around the world and stuff that you know. Um, so into it is just like yeah, is is amazing. Mm. Have have they ever wanted to um drag you up on stage or <laughs> I, <laughs> insert you into a TV show? Um, well, I'm in the ABC show very briefly. Oh, um, are you? I have a little yeah cameo. Oh, I have um, to rewatch it. Which, which episode are you? Uh it's episode four. Okay, um, it's in the arcade. Oh, like okay. The, the yeah, right. Okay. Like, oh yes, yes, yes! Yeah. <laughs> I didn't um, realize that. There you go. Yeah, so that was a great moment. That's, yeah. <laughs> talk about breaking the fourth wall. Um, yeah, and then I play myself very briefly in the Netflix show, um, in episode five, I think it is. Um, so, yeah, yeah, little little things. I and, love that. And, and, yeah. and popped on stage once or twice as well in live things. But I'm very much hate being in front of the camera. <laughs> Of all the film roles, like, so to like want to do cinematography, editing, directing, yeah. producing, acting has not been one of yeah. them. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> and the um, the show that you've um, had in the can for the last year and a half at the ABC, Stories from Oz? Yeah, so Stories from Oz. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was um, a show made by Chris Taylor and Andrew Hansen from mm-hmm. The Chaser and um, – was was like so up my alley when they kind of pitched it because it was it's a documentary but each episode's a different do- a story told through interview but then parts of the story are um uh reenacted through comedy musical mm. songs and comedy musical songs is just something i've done so much of like with auntie donna mm. we did a whole i mean auntie donna made an album and then we did a whole um, music video web series mm. where we did like eight music videos mm. plus all the other songs that are in auntie donna stuff like Heaps of songs in a Netflix show, heaps of songs in the mm. ABC show as well. Um, so doing comedy musical songs is, is something I feel like I'm uniquely experienced mm. with. And so when they were pitching the idea of this show that was comedy musical songs, yeah. um, it just was like, yeah, such a great, you know, fit. And, you know, I mean, I, I, The Chaser and stuff was a huge 
um, inspiration for me growing up, you know, mm. watching that show, um, what their shows um, was, was some of my favorite Australian comedy of all time. So getting mm. to work with them was, um, yeah, was a real thrill and um, on a show that, yeah, felt so, so perfectly suited. So that was a really great experience and um, was supposed to come out in February last year and it hasn't, but hopefully we'll be coming out uh, later this year just for various reasons, but um, they seem to be sorted now. So hopefully, um, yeah, in the second half of 2023, that show will come out, which would be awesome. Yeah. Um, especially to have done like a, another, it was great doing a TV series that wasn't Auntie Donna as well, just to like have that experience mm. and like be doing, you know, on, on other things yeah. as well. So I really hope it can, it can come out. Um, yeah. And then into the future, hopefully, you know, there's another season of coffee cafe, but also there's other, some other comedy shows that we're pitching as a production company, mm -hmm. some other non Auntie Donna based shows. Right. Yep. So we have our production company having done well productions, which we used to make mm -hmm. the Auntie Donna shows, but also to work with other comedians mm -hmm. in pitching and developing um, their TV shows. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, you know, some of those will come, kind of come through as well. Let's hope so. Yeah. Thanks. It's, yeah. Been, it's been good. It's been great. We uh, really enjoyed you having you, man. Thank you for being here, man. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Thank you chat. so much. All right, Dan. Thanks, Thanks everyone. Up. Cheers. Bye.